It is good to be with you this morning. I look forward to sharing God's word with you. Be in Exodus uh, 15. Let me say as the kids are being dismissed as well, if you were not here last week, one of the things that we did was uh, to present the design plans for the, the foyer and some of the capital improvement projects. I uh, just thank and appreciate uh, those of you that are helping us out with that. Uh, we're trying to push for that through the month of uh, July so that, God willing, we can get a lot of this done, hopefully, uh, before even the fall kickoff. Uh, but if you, want, if you miss that and you want to see kind of what some of the uh, things are in plan, uh, go online and uh, we have the video from last week with some of the graphics and you can find that. And It's uh, pretty exciting, but... Uh, the building is just the building. God's work in the lives and hearts of people is what we value the most. And I thank God for you. I thank you for the way that he is working in each of our hearts and the way that he's reaching through this church uh, to our community and to the world. Let's pray and dive into this passage. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you that you remain the same from generation to generation. We thank you for the historical accounts that are written down in the book of Exodus. Things that have happened long ago, but things that are also written for us today. That these truths are relevant to each person in each pew or chair today. And it's as if the ink is still wet because of how relevant this is. Each person here, Lord God, is being tested in some ways. Each person here is going through trials, hardships of different kinds, Lord. And I ask that you would apply these passages and attend, as intended to each heart here, that you would give us comfort, conviction, direction, that you would help us to trust you more, to bring you glory. Apply it as needed to each of our lives. And through it all, may Jesus Christ be lifted high. We thank you. We serve you, Lord God. In Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior's name we pray. Amen. There's a man who became a, a monk. He became a Trappist monk. And in this type of monk, not only did he take a vow of celibacy and take a vow of, of poverty, but he also had to take a vow of silence. So he would not speak at all as, as a monk, and he was in his trial period the first few years. And he went his first year not saying a word, uh, but he was allowed to speak briefly at his uh, annual review before the other monks, and so at the, after a year went by of complete silence, he goes before the other monks and uh, they say, do you have anything to say? And he says two words. He says, food cold. And then he goes on, he spends the next year in complete dead silence, you know, doing his, his monk activities and all this. Uh, next year goes by and it's time again for his annual review. He goes before the other monks and he again speaks two words. Bed hard. Okay. And he goes on. He spends uh, his year 
uh, next year as, as a monk in this uh, probation period. And he gets to the end of it. Third year, now he goes before the, 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 the board of monks again. And he says again two words. I quit. <laughs> and the, the other monks say, well, this is, we, we saw this coming. Uh, for the past three years, you've done nothing but complain. <laughs> Grumbling, complaining, that is the theme, a uh, huge theme of these uh, passages that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, it seems that some people might think that complaining or grumbling is a spiritual gift and that they are very gifted in this, the spiritual gift of complaining. Uh, it is not a spiritual gift. It is a natural ability, as those of us that are parents know full well. They're born with this ability, and some may perfect it. They're working on it every day. Uh, this is part of fallen humanity. We grumble. We complain. It's an expression of a heart that is, that is not content, a heart that is, is not trusting God. As we look at this passage, and we're going to be looking, we're going to be starting in Exodus 15, verse 22, going all the way to 17, verse 7, there's three big uh, stories, episodes that are part of this. Uh, there's going to be where Moses, uh, they come across bitter water and they make it uh, drinkable. There is the episode of God providing for his people with manna and quail. And then God providing water for them in the desert out of, out of a rock. But that is not ultimately what these stories are about. Uh, those are the things that make good flannel graph presentations. Uh, and these are things that happen. But I wanted to make sure, uh, as we talk about this, that we're getting at the heart of what does God really intend for us to get out of this? What is God's message to us? So when I was uh, studying this passage again and thinking about it, I started looking for, for repeated key words. And that's a great way when you do your Bible study as well to try and notice what is a key theme here. If you notice things that keep being repeated, uh, that's an indicator of that. One of the things we're going to notice is the word grumble or grumbling keeps coming up in these sections. Uh, so in my... Bible. Actually, I was using olive tree, and I highlighted those. I also noticed the word test. For each of these occurrences, the word test was used. And God was saying, this is some sort of a test, so we've got to keep that in mind. There's also a lot of language about, this is a test to see if you obey my commands, if you obey my, my laws, or if you'll disobey. And at the heart of this, really, it was about, do the Israelites trust God enough to obey him? Or are they expressing hearts of, of distrust? So through the message here, we're going to try and put all of these different themes together. And when we do this, we'll see that, yeah, this is not just historical accounts from three and a half thousand years ago. God intended this for us today as well. So let's uh, dig into this. People grumble God provides. Exodus 15 verse 22 is where we will start this episode of bitter water. Let me read this account and then we'll talk about it. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea 
This is right after they crossed the Red Sea. They had taken time to pause, to praise. We did this, talked about the song of Moses last time, so it's picking up right from there. So it's important to keep this in mind. They're coming fresh off of God delivering them through the plagues, ripping open the Red Sea. They march through this. Pharaoh's army is drowned. And then, well, certainly they're going to spend the next year just with uh, hearts of afterglow praising God. That's just how it works for us, right? (laughs) Okay. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. This is a problem, since you need water to live. Uh, when they came to Mara, they could not drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara, which means bitter. So they came to this water. They probably said, great, look at this. There's water. We get to, we get to see this. They get to it, and ugh, it, it's, it's brackish, it's saltish, it's, it's bitter, it's polluted. Whatever was wrong with this, they, they couldn't stomach drinking this. You know, the disappointment they had water and we we can't drink this verse 24 and the people grumbled this is the first occurrence of the word grumbled against moses saying what shall we drink and he cried to the lord and the lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet that sweet it became drinkable it became pure it almost makes it sound like it turned into seven up but i don't think that's what it means just it became good drinking water then and by the way the word log there some translations say piece of wood uh it's probably more like a log or a tree that he threw in there how exactly this works we don't we don't know this is one of those miracle category type things why god had him throw a log in there to make it work why not just raise his staff Well, something to think about. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So at first they had this disappointment at Mara, but through this intervention with God, uh, telling them to, to put this tree or log in there, it became sweet, they were able to drink, and then later on they were led to uh, somewhere else where there was, there was even more. So we see the first indication of complaining here. They grumbled. This water is, is bitter, Moses. I'm going to give it a bad Yelp review. This trip advisor is going to be hearing about this. One star, Moses. So they complain, how quickly, yeah, how quickly our gratitude can turn into grumbling. They had just, the verses before this, what we talked about last week, they had been praising God for his deliverance. They were no longer slaves in Egypt, as they had been for 430 years. They're delivered from that. They saw God deliver them with his, his mighty outstretched arm. And then the next trouble they come across, they, they complain. They're grumbling. We often, we hit disappointments, and that's what causes grumbling. Our expectations aren't met. We have certain things we expect. They expected that water at Mara to be, to be good, 
and it wasn't, and they, their expectations weren't met. They grumbled. But didn't God just save them? Weren't they praising him? Now, how quickly can that change for us too? You know, we praise God, and we like to think we're different. We'll keep on praising no matter what, but we know how it is. There, there's weeks where uh, we, we praise God here in church, and we don't make it the rest of the day before we're grumbling and complaining. We, there are probably days we don't make it out of the building sometime before we are grumbling and complaining. How quick we can, we can turn the dial on that. One of the things we see from this is that hardships are tests. This is the, the first mention where he says the, the word test. We see that this is coming up, that God is allowing these things to happen. He's planning these things. We're going to see that in each of these episodes today. And I think it's trust to see, are they going to trust God and obey or not? Or are they going to do their own thing? Are they going to be discontent? Before we move on, let me comment about in verse uh, 26. He says, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord and do which is right in his eyes, which we should all do, give ear to his commands and keep his statutes, which we should all do, then he says, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Uh, Lord, your healer, Yahweh Rapha. I'd say this is not a promise that faithful believers will never get sick. They will. Uh, we, we know that. This is a promise here, specifically to these Hebrews, that if they are faithful, they will never experience the plagues that God had just brought upon the Egyptians. However, the Lord has always been Yahweh Rapha. He always will be Yahweh Rapha, the, the God who heals. And he chooses when he will heal. He chooses how he will heal, whether it is natural, whether it is supernatural. It's his prerogative. If he wants to do something out of the ordinary, if he wants to do something that cannot be explained, he, he is uh, able to do that. He also is uh, able to heal through natural means if he chooses to use the healing power of the body and the skill of physicians. And we praise him either way. We, leave, we put our request before him and we leave it up to him if he wants to do one or the other or a combination. He also chooses if he will heal believers now or at the resurrection. And it's our, our prayer. We pray for healing. We pray for, there are many of you that, that have, we are praying for right now. And we trust that God will do what is right in his plan. And we're thankful that we have a God that is God, the healer. Chapter, moving on to chapter 16, grumbling. <laughs> we see this is a big theme of this first section, 1 through 12. And... Uh, there's a, a man that was at a restaurant and he was uh, eating and he was, he was grumbling and he was complaining to the waiter saying, you know, it's, it's too hot in here. You turn on the air conditioning and uh, the waiter uh, would say, you know, of course, sir, whatever you say. And he went off. 
And later on, the man was grumbling again. It's, it's, it's too cold in here. Can you turn off the air conditioning? Said, yes, sir, uh, whatever you say. Later on, it's too hot in here. Can you turn on the air conditioning? Yes, sir, whatever you say. And this kept going on back and forth, back and forth. And eventually, another lady that was in the, uh, the restaurant eating, she was done. She came up to, to pay her bill. And she had noticed this going on with the waiter and this man. And she said, he must be driving you crazy. And the waiter said, him, him driving me crazy? No, I'm driving him crazy. We don't even have an air conditioner. <laughs> Grumbling. So we, we don't usually, this, we've never done this before, but I want to read this next section. And because uh, if, if you underline in your Bible, you might want to underline or highlight the word grumbling, but we'll just do this in a different way. As I read this, uh, let's have an interactive reading here, okay? And when I hit the word grumble or grumbling, I want you to make a grumbling noise, okay? And I'm doing this just to you know, keep, you, keep you with me, but also to, I want you to really recognize how many times the word grumbling is in these, these 12 verses. So if, if you're willing to play along and, and do this, Okay, chapter 16. They sent out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel and came to the wilderness of sin. Which, by the way, the Hebrew word sin has nothing to do here with our English word for sin. Kind of a coincidence. Uh, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm encouraging grumbling in church. All right. <laughs> they grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. We'll talk about that in a minute here. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, test, the word test again, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling good, against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumbled against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation, the people of Israel uh, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, 
I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. All right, you may cease your grumbling. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Any grumbling after this, I'm just going to take a personal. <laughs> so here we see a few things. <laughs> Notice the people respond to this, saying uh, in number three here, they said, we would have rather just died in Israel, back in Egypt. I wish that the Lord had just killed us then. You know, if you brought us out here to, to kill us in the by starvation in the desert. Oh, back in, back in Egypt, we had pots full of meat. We had bread to the full. Oh, the, the good old days. Notice how we tend to have very selective memory. Okay? It's like, it's like cropping a picture. You know, we have a photograph, and we kind of crop it to make it look better. You know, uh, you can have the, uh, the nice you know, picture of the... Um, uh, your building, but you crop out the garbage and all these different things to make it just how you want it. We tend to do that with our memories as we look back. We crop out the consequences. We crop out this, the, the old suffering that we had. You know, their selective memory, kind of cropping out the, uh, yeah, we were slaves. Uh, we were being beaten. We had no freedom. We couldn't worship. the way we, Yeah, the, pretty selective memory that they're, they're having here as they look back to the good old days. In one book I was reading by uh, Chuck Swindoll, he made this point. He said, you may be grumbling right now about your current situation, but chances are that in two years from now, you'll be looking back on this moment and saying, oh, for the good old days. Boy, was it great back then, wasn't it? Let's realize we tend to grumble because we have selective memory. And then also saying, you brought us in the wilderness to kill us with hunger. Think of how ridiculous this is. What they had just experienced from God, his faithfulness, his provision, his promises. They really think God brought them out to, to kill them. But that shows, you know, sin and our grumbling hearts, that's not rational. That is not reasonable. We're responding out of emotion. We're responding out of discontent instead of the real situation. How ridiculous. We, we didn't want to be rescued. It's like in that first Incredibles movie where the guy that complains, I didn't want to be rescued. So we see also in verse 4, this is going to be another test. He says, whether they will walk in my ways or not. That means to live according to my rules, according to my, my commands. God is the one that can give these commands and we ought to, we ought to obey. In verses 7 and 8, we see that Moses he was telling them that, hey, you are not merely grumbling against your leaders. You're not merely grumbling against me, Moses, and against Aaron. Uh, we see here the, the Lord speaking through him saying, you're really grumbling against the Lord. That's who you really have a problem with. You have a problem with God's provision here. So the point is, when we talk about grumbling in this section, if we think about this all being a test, these trials, these uh, hardships that God puts in our life to realize that one of the purposes, they are a test to see if we are going to trust him, if we are going to walk in his ways and obey him or not. And when we grumble, when we, we complain, we fail the test. 
That shows that we're failing the test to trust the Lord. It is a sign of it. Uh, Grumbling is not a cute, light thing. Grumbling is a serious heart issue. It reveals what is actually in our hearts. When we grumble, we're showing that we have hearts that, that do not trust the Lord, that we're not being confident in his faithfulness, in his goodness. In our hearts, we're dishonoring him. We're saying he's not trustworthy. He's not good. He does not care. He is not adequate for our needs. Grumbling is a sign of heart trouble. You know, if you go to the actual doctor and he takes out his stethoscope and he puts it to your physical heart and he hears a murmur, it may mean signs that there's, uh, there's heart problems. When the Lord hears you murmur with grumbling, it's also a sign that we have a disease of the heart, a disease of the heart that is called sin, that has infected each of our hearts. So grumbling is a sign that we've, we've, we've failed the test. Now we see, next we see God still, he doesn't abandon his people. He provides. And he's going to provide here with, uh, with, with quail and manna. Verse 13, in the evening quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And the people of Israel saw it. They said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. By the way, the word manna means what what is it? Uh, For they did not know what it is. Uh, And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord had given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. And you shall each take an omer. By the way, an omer is about two liters. So think of a two-liter bottle filled with, uh, filled with this. According to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it out with an omer, Uh, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat, and Moses said to them, Let no one leave anything of it over till the morning. Uh, But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread. Why? We're, we're going to see. This is going to be explained. Two omers each. So two, two, two liter bottles full. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a, is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept until morning. It didn't usually keep to the next morning, but he said on the Sabbath it it is going to. I'm going to give you, I'm going to double up the day before the Sabbath so you don't have to go collect this on on the Sabbath day. That's a day of rest. It's not a day for for you to be doing this. Verse 15. 
Verse 24, so they laid it aside till morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you a Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place, in in your your dwelling place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. Don't be going out to, to gather this. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna, It was like corner seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey, which in that day was a a way of also, if they didn't have all the processed sugar and different things, honey was the most sweetest imaginable thing. And to have something that was like a wafer, this would have been to them the, the, the most unimaginably good food you could ever imagine that they were having. And it was like, tasted like wafers made out of honey. The Lord said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness, and I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. Later it would be put in the ark. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the 10th part of an ephah, in case you were wondering. All right, so we see here that the people complain, but again, God graciously, mercifully provides for them. In this episode, the quail actually come first. Now, there is a, another uh, description of the quail and manna in Numbers 11 later on. Numbers 11, you can read that at a different time. And that, at that point, the people had been eating manna day after day after day after day. And they got sick of manna. And they complained and grumbled, and then God sent quail. And they were able to have some, some meat and able to have this. Uh, so what we have going on here is, I think the way you put this together is this is the first occurrence of this. And in this episode, the quail come first. They come at, at nightfall. And so they can have this evening meal. But I believe this was an initial meal they had to, to satisfy them. But these quail were probably a, a one-time special meal. So I, I think they didn't continue day after day, year after year. So this, when it gets to Numbers 11, uh, they've been having manna every day, but, but not the quail all the time. That's how you put that together, I think. Here's another question, and sometimes you might come across this. Uh, was the manna a natural phenomenon? I think, well, of, of course not. Uh, but I, some have argued that maybe, maybe it was. Now, what they say is that there are in the Sinai, and I guess this actually is something that happens, there are certain kind of aphid, okay, that are on these uh, trees, the tamarisk tree, and they eat the, uh, the sugary sap, and they exude uh, droplets 
that become dry in the ground and become these whitish flakes and would taste like manna. And some people say, well, that's what, that's what the manna is. Now, even if that were the case, I'm not saying that it is, um, well, let's, let's think of pros and cons. First of all, they say, well, this has been observed. Uh, okay. Also, we should realize that sometimes God does work through directing nature. Quail are real birds, okay? God did not send phoenix, okay? Uh, God can and does work through natural occurrences. He can direct this. But there's also things that we need to keep in mind, too. Just the, the sheer amount of this uh, substance to be produced. I mean, a two-liter bottle full for, for each of these people, maybe up to two million people or more. Uh, that, that's not a natural thing. Uh, so even if this was from aphids, which I'm not convinced of that, uh, God is behind this. But also, too, notice other things that indicate that this, this is a miracle because uh, there would be double on Friday. That was the day before the Sabbath. The Jewish Sabbath was Friday night to Saturday night. And so uh, there, there's double that day and then none the next day. So this is a, this is a supernatural thing uh, that is happening. And also it ends exactly when they enter the promised land. Joshua 5:12 states, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So no matter what, God is behind this. This is a miraculous thing. Um, and whether God does something that's straight out supernatural or directs natural causes, we give him the credit and praise either way. But there's lots of indications here. This was a very miraculous thing that was happening. And part of this, again, this is part of this test. Is being said, this is a test to see, are you going to trust? And when you trust and obey, you, you pass the test. When we grumble, we're, we're not passing. When we do trust and obey, uh, instead of failing, we, we, we pass this. And so we see the commands here that God gives to them with this manna, that they're not supposed to keep it over to the next day. If they do, it's going to have worms, it's going to stink. Part of that message is God is sending is, I am going to take care of you day by day. I am going to give you what you need when you need it each day. Our tendency of our heart is to want everything all in advance. My tendency is like that as well. I would like my 20-year supply of manna right now, please. And then I don't have to worry about it. That's not what God does. He gives us what we need each day. If you don't have your 20-year supply of manna right now, you don't have to worry about that because you have God with you. You have the God that you know will provide. He will provide your need today. He will provide your need tomorrow. He will keep on providing you what you need as you need it. This is causing us to trust him. If we had our 20-year supply, we would put our trust in our 20-year supply, wouldn't we? But instead, God gives it to us as we need it so that our trust is in him, and he will provide for you. Have that faith. Have that trust. We saw this, what would happen with, uh, with, with the Sabbath. 
that God gave them this double supply before so they didn't have to go out on the Sabbath. So they could set that day aside as special to the Lord. Let it be a day of rest. Let it be a day devoted to him. Now, we we don't keep the Jewish Sabbath in the same way, Friday night to Saturday night, but as Christians, Jesus called Sunday the Lord's Day, uh, the Bible does, we worship on the Lord's Day. You know, are we taking that principle or are we applying that? Are we willing to trust God enough that we can, we can take time out of our schedule uh, and that God will provide even if we're not working, 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 working? That we can take time to serve the Lord and God will still provide our needs. We can... Uh, we can donate, we can tithe, we can do what we're called to do, and God is going to take care of us. So we obey him, we, we live for him, we trust him. Notice how God is different than Pharaoh. When the people complained under Pharaoh, he, he deprived them even more. But when they grumble at the Lord, he, he feeds them instead. And we see this last episode we see uh, water from the rock. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses. This is an even stronger word than just grumbling. They're, they're quarreling now saying, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Let me stop there. You see the word test again. Now, who's testing who? They're they're testing the Lord. There are times when we're grumbling, we realize that we're forgetting who the actual judge is. We're forgetting who's the one that should be doing the testing. It's okay for God to test us because, because he is the Lord. For us to be testing him, that's, that's uncalled for. That's sin. We think that we're the judge of the universe instead. We, we're getting ourselves confused with the Almighty when that's happening. He says, why, accordingly, why do you test the Lord? But the people of Israel thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children with our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. And taking your hand the staff, which with you struck the Nile, and go, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of all the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? When we grumble, when we complain, we're saying, Is the Lord here? Is he really faithful? Does he, has he given up? Is he going to act? Is he... Who is testing who? We get ourselves confused with the judge of the universe. Psalm 95, 7 through 8 talks about this. It says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, 
as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, they had been given evidence, but they still put God to the test. They still were disbelieving. So we see these themes of, of being tested. We see these themes of grumbling leading us to uh, our, how are we responding to this. And we also see the theme that through this all, God is merciful. He keeps providing for them in spite of their grumbling. and They don't deserve to have God provide for them, but he does, and he keeps on doing this. Yes, God will keep providing for us. The Lord provides. The Lord will keep on providing. He'll give us what we need. Therefore, we are called to trust and obey. Listen, God isn't going to lead you out of Egypt to abandon you and let you die in the wilderness. Okay? That wasn't his goal here for the, the Hebrews, his secret plot. His secret plot for your life, too, isn't to save your soul and then abandon you and leave you to, to rot in your circumstances. God is going to continue to be with you. He's going to continue to give you the grace that you need each day. It might not be your 20-year supply all at once, but it'll give it to you. The main point of all this, don't grumble, he's saying. He's saying, trust me, obey what I say, and I will provide. And the tests in our life reveal grumbling or trust and obedience. I was thinking through this on how to be a non-grumbler. Let me just read through this. This is going to be more than you can write down, so just listen. These are a few things from this message. You can get these online later on. How to be a non-grumbler. Avoid idealistic or unrealistic expectations. Don't crop the picture. Have a selective memory. Don't feel entitled Don't feel cheated. Don't focus on your supposed rights. The devil did that with Eve. Instead, have humility. Realize that as sinners, we don't deserve blessing but judgment. Focus on grace. Trust that the Lord is good and knows what is good for you. Don't demand your own timing. Focus on past and present blessings. Believe God's promises for the future. Trust that God is good and that he has good intentions for you. Trust that God will provide your real needs. Don't confuse needs with wants. Don't compare with others. Especially don't selectively compare with others. Realize that God's goals are not always your goals. Avoid infection from other grumblers. Against these infections, take the antibodies of praise, prayer, and thanksgiving. Being around grateful people also helps. Don't see yourself as the judge. Remember who's supposed to be testing who. Catch yourself when you grumble. Or even if you have a grumbling attitude in your heart, whether you say it out loud or not, and ask for forgiveness when your grumbling reveals the sin that is in your heart. We talk about sin. 
Talk about God will provide for our needs. Yep, they needed water. We need water. There's things that you need day by day. But what is it that we really need the most? Listen, please. What you and I, we really need the most has to do with the biggest problem that we actually have. You see, none of us has obeyed God perfectly. There's a test to see will we obey or not. None of us have passed that. None of us have obeyed. So we need a Savior who has obeyed perfectly. We have all grumbled. We have all sinned. We need a Savior who has, who has not. Let me show you some things from these passages. We talked about throwing the tree into the water and became pure, and God provides bread from heaven, and then God... Uh, strikes the rock and water comes out. In 1 Corinthians 10, Scripture talks about this. It says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses of the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them Listen to these words. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. The rock was Christ. We've seen several times in Exodus, God has, has manifested himself in the burning bush and in the pillar. This is indicating that there's something very special going on with this rock that a manifestation of Christ, symbolic of Christ, a theophany has followed them. Jesus also said in John 7, he said on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And in John 6, 51, it says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give, that I get, will give for the life of the world is my flesh. God will provide your deepest need. Your deepest need is because of each of our rebellion against God, our sin. We've all failed the test. Jesus passed it with flying colors. He died on the cross. If you take him into your life, if you trust him as your Lord and Savior, he will save you, he will forgive you, he will be your nourishment. From this day forward, he will provide everything that you really need the most. Jesus is the rock. Whoever believes in him will have hearts flowing with living water. Jesus is the true bread from heaven. And because Jesus died on a tree, our polluted hearts are made clean. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for scripture that tells us this account of what you have done. And Lord, we stand just amazed at the, the love and the patience and the grace that you had for, for sinful, for Israel, Lord God. Help us to not be like that. Help us to not have hearts that distrust you and that, that grumble, Lord. 
But God, we come before you realizing that we, ha- we have failed, we have grumbled, we have sinned. And so we thank you that you have given us the one that this passage ultimately points to. Jesus Christ, our Lord, died on the cross for us. He died on that tree, taking away our sin and, and giving us his purity, Lord God. We thank you that by his, his, his flesh and his uh, death on the cross and his resurrection, Lord God, that we can have life in you. He is the bread. He is the source of our living water, Lord God. Help us trust in nothing else but you. Help us to trust in you alone. And Lord, if there's anyone here that has never put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior from their sin, may they do that now. In the name of our beloved Savior, we pray. Amen.